Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast by Precept Ministries Canada. Know God deeply and live differently by studying His Word and discovering God's truth for yourself. You are listening to a series called Jesus' Message to the Seven Churches, and it goes through Revelation chapters 1 through 3. Here is episode 6, The Church at Thyatira. Hello everyone, it's Mark Sheldrake here, National Director of Precept Ministries in Canada. So glad that you can be joining us on the Unlocking the Truth podcast. We're working our way through the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Thank you for sending in your messages and your feedback on the podcast so far. Glad you are enjoying it. And we've got another great week for you. Uh, Very exciting things happening in the ministry. We are back into doing some live training workshops. So check out our website. Maybe we are coming to a church near you and you can uh, participate in training. If you're interested in participating and becoming a leader of a precept Bible study, Uh, visit our website, check out the leader track, and you can see that we've got leader training in 40-minute Bible studies, new inductive study series, and then, of course, precept upon precept. And so we've got a brand new precept upon precept leader training starting in September, and uh, you can study through the book of Mark and learn how to teach. Be a fantastic opportunity. We're coming to Calgary. Looking forward to that. We'll be in Millerville, Alberta, which is just outside of Calgary in September. Be a great opportunity to participate in a number of workshops there as well. And then finally, don't forget, hey folks, we're heading to Israel, March 2023. The Canadian bus is almost full. So if you are thinking about uh, getting into that trip and as you've been pondering and praying with it, Oh, for a little while, make sure you register to make you get your spot on the Canadian bus. Our goal is to just have one bus uh, full of Canadians and uh, looking forward to that. And also, just so you know, this ministry uh, that we're putting on is uh, all done by uh, gifts sent into the ministry uh, through our website on the click donate now button. So, uh, we've sent this out over the airways completely uh, free to you, and we encourage you that if you have been impacted not only by what you've been studying in the Word of God, but also maybe somewhere down the line this ministry has impacted your heart and opened your eyes to God's Word in a whole new way, that you could click that Donate Now button and support Precept uh, as we um, engage people in relationship with God all across this wonderful country. Well, let me pray, and uh, let's dig into this week's episode. Father, we do thank you for the time that we have to come together once again out through the airwaves of the internet. Lord, I pray that uh, all those who are listening would again take the opportunity to not just listen to these words, but look at these words coming from the book of Revelation that Uh, We would pause and stop and think and ponder uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit to evaluate what is being said in this week's letter. And Lord, I pray that uh, you would uh, just do the work that needs to be done to help us to be transformed, to be more and more like you each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Woo! Folks, I've got to tell you... uh, (laughs) I thought the last episode was uh, super convicting. (laughs) I thought, oh, you know, like, I think last episode I was saying they kind of get worse. Uh, This one here, another heart piercer. Another one that is just going to uh, hit us right where it hurts. Like, we're going to feel this not only as we ponder and we think through these things that uh, come from this week's episode, but man, it is going to, the Holy Spirit, I know, I know the Holy Spirit is going to poke at your heart and he's going to challenge you like I was challenged just preparing uh, this podcast this week. And man, I uh, there were a number of times where I was ready to record and I had to pause and just stop and just think through 
everything that we are seeing in this letter today? Well, we are working our way through, and we're now on this church, uh, Thautira. Oh, thank you, Blue Letter Bible, for, for teaching the pronunciation. For, for years, I pronounced that as Taitira, but it's ta- Thautira. Tautira is the pronunciation of this church. And so we're going to look at uh, Tautira. Uh, we have been naming the churches. We've been naming them all the way through. This church carries the title of the Unrepentant Church. Uh, or the the compromising church. So uh, this is going to play a, a huge role as we walk through. Remember the format. The format that we walk through with each of these letters. We'll start with some historical background. We will look at the description of Jesus. We'll look at the commendation, the reproof, the action that needs to be taken, and then the promise. This is how all of them are going to break down. We're not going to change uh, the method in which we are looking at these all the way through uh, for the remainder of the ones that we have. All right, so this letter to Tautira, it starts the second group of messages to the churches in Asia. All right, so the first three churches that we looked at, Ephesus, uh, Zmurna, and Pergamum, uh, can be characterizes characterized as all churches that were very loyal to Jesus. Uh, Ephesus was loyal to Jesus, but they were lacking love. They their their commitment to Jesus was shown in their protection of the pulpit and guarding who was teaching in the church and all of those things. But they became very. Um, Uh, focused on that, and then Jesus said, you lost your first love. Get back to what you were doing at the beginning. Uh, Smyrna was was loyal. They were tested in their suffering, and they were running well. Remember, they didn't have uh, a reproof against them. Uh, Pergamum was loyal, but they were lacking that moral passion. They what was right and what was good was not uh, something that they were truly focusing on. They allowed the worldly teaching to creep in. But all three of these churches, uh, they did not completely fall uh, into what we would call to the position of evil. All right, They had not completely fallen away. Uh, they just needed some slight correcting uh, to do. The next three churches... Uh, Tautira, Sardis, Laodicea, uh, they indicate um, that all of these three churches have a small number of people that have been affected by false teaching uh, in like a larger group. So the, the first one was kind of small numbers. This is larger groups of people in these three churches uh, have been affected by the false teaching. So the, the false teachings infiltrated the church more, and more people are falling into the trap of what was being taught. You're thinking to yourself, okay, well, that's six churches, uh, but I thought there was seven churches. Well, the church at Philadelphia uh, will get a momentary reprieve, all right? After Sardis, we'll have a moment to breathe, pause, look at Philadelphia, and then we'll be hammered again by uh, the church at Laodicea. Okay, so essentially, each of the churches now, uh, through to the end, will uh, increase in problems, except for Philadelphia. Okay, so uh, let's work our way through. Uh, You know, point number one, let's look at the historical background of this church at Thautira. All right, Uh, not much is known about this church as far as things that have been uh, dug up by uh, folks to learn and see uh, what this city life was like during this time. It's very much uh, m- many things unknown, but we do have some things that we do know about this church uh, from history. First, the church was located in uh, Tautira, which is a commercial center 
and it was located between uh, Pergamum and Sardis. Uh, the city was under rule, uh, Roman rule, for three centuries. Most of the time, Thautira was used as a military outpost, and it was a place that where all the, the soldiers and the military gathered, but they were gathering there to protect Pergamum. If you remember when we looked at Pergamum, there was a competition for what, who, what city would be the capital city and the city of most importance. And so a part of that was the people would gather at Dautira uh, for the purpose of protecting Pergamum. Alexander the Great, remember that guy? He was stationed at uh, Thautira. Uh, we also know that from the book of Acts, uh, Lydia, the one who was selling purple fabrics in uh, Philippi, uh, when Paul went there, uh, she was from Thautira. Uh, Thautira was also known for all of the trade guilds. All right, so there, this was a manufacturing town. Uh, there were craftsmen of wool and linen there, makers of leather and bronze. Uh, outer garments were made there. There were people who would dye garments. There were potters. There were bakers. Uh, and then there were uh, dealers there who sold slaves. So uh, one of the things that plays a very important role in the historical part of this church, remember, every part of when Jesus addresses this church he, he goes after parts of the historical, uh, historical for us, but the nature of the culture that was going on in the church. So to survive and live uh, in Tautira, you had to be uh, a part of a trade guild. So bakers, dealers of slaves, bronze makers, outer garments makers, craftsmen of wool and linen, y'all had to be in uh, a trade guild, sort of like a union, I guess. Right, So they had to be a part of a union of people. These trade guilds, as a part of being a part of these trade guilds, uh, they would come together as groups like craftsmen of wool and linen. They would come together and they would share meals together. And a part of those sharing of meals together, because this was a place of uh, idol worship, uh, they would begin their meals by doing uh, sacrificial uh, sacraments which would be towards false gods. Uh, for example, uh, one of the uh, things that they would do is they might pour at the dinner, they might pour uh, a glass of wine uh, for one of the gods that they worshipped, and then they would pour that wine out onto the floor as an act of worship to start uh, the dinner. So there was very much so uh, within these trade guilds uh, participation to be a part of the trade guild. That's how you survived and you made, made your living was being a part of this group. And being a part of this group, you were to uh, take the acts of worshiping false gods. This would have been a very difficult uh, decision for Christians who didn't want to compromise their faith in Jesus. So think about if you are trying to survive in your living, all right, to, to make money to survive for your family, and yet to be a part of that guild was to uh, do all of this act of worship. So any Christians, what they would have to do is they would have to make the decision of whether they were going to compromise their faith in Jesus to remain a part of this trade guild, which you got to make the sacrifice and the, do the sacraments to false worship. Okay, so this is, this is a huge thing. I mean, this is why this is so convicting for you and I today, just from the historical point. I mean, we are living in a world right now where we are challenged every single day to decide whether we are going to compromise our faith, whether we are going to move to uh, the world's position on things, 
or whether we're going to hold true to what the Word of God says. All right, so this is what they were dealing with. We deal with the same thing, and that's why this whole episode this week brings about great conviction because we're really going to be challenged in the whole idea of compromise. All right, here's the final thing that you need to know. The main worship uh, that was in Thautira was worship of Apollo, uh, the sun god. All right, so this is a really, really cool thing that's going about to happen because when we look at the description of Jesus and we see how Jesus describes himself, uh, it is going to be completely counteractive to what the people are participating in within the church and in the city of Tautira. All right? Remember, remember this, that as Jesus is standing in the midst of the seven lampstands, he's doing an x-ray. He's looking deep within the church, deep within the heart and within the soul to see what is really happening in the life of the church. All right, so let's go into the description of Jesus. And let me just start because we're in Revelation chapter 2, starting at verse 18, uh, going uh, through uh, verse by verse down to verse 29. Now, the one thing to draw attention to that when we get into these verses, this is the longest letter to the church, the longest letter to the smallest city. Of the seven churches that are going to be addressed, Tautira is the smallest location, and yet the letter to them is the longest. All right, so let's go. Uh, And to the angel of the church in Tautira writes, The Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this. All right, so uh, quick observations, because that's what we do. We observe the text first, then we interpret, and then we apply. The Son of God, okay, that's one title that's been given. All right, so we'll look at these as individual. The Son of God, what does he have? He has eyes like a flame of fire, and he has feet like burnished bronze. So let's break down the first one, okay? The first is the Son of God. The, the reference to the Son of God in verse 18, this is the only time this is found in the book of Revelation. Uh, not only does this point to Christ's deity, but this is a direct contrast to the worship that was found in Tautira. So we have that in Tautira, the main worship was the worship of Apollo, the sun god. Uh, In Tautira, there was a temple devoted to Apollo. And so uh, worship of the sun god. When Jesus says uh, in that verse 18, the son of God, he not only points to his deity as Jesus Christ, the son of God, but he also more importantly points to something bigger than his deity. Uh, In Revelation chapter 1, when we see the description uh, in verse 12 and 13 of this one that John sees, he says, "Uh, I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. Well, when we went through the overview, we already know, and we've been pointing back weekly to the very fact that that is Jesus being described there as he's the one in the midst of the seven lampstands. There he is one referred to as the Son of Man. The Son of Man refers to the humility of Jesus when he came to earth as a baby and when he was raised up into uh, a man and he began his ministry at 33. The book of Hebrews tells us 
that he humbled himself uh, and went to the cross for uh, the sins of um, the world. And so we see that the Son of Man is that uh, humble, priestly, high priest approach to the scriptures. But this here, he's saying that I am the Son of God, which is an elevated title, meaning that when he's coming and describing himself in this manner, he is coming not as the humble priest who came to uh, provide the sacrifice for sins for the world, but he is coming now to this church as the divine judge ready to rain down judgment on the earth. All right. So when, when Jesus comes in this, there's, there's no humility here. This is a position of a th- authority that he is coming. Why? Because he's done an x-ray of this church and he realizes what's happening in this church and he is about to rain down judgment on the church. And we're going to see this as we begin to look through uh, the reproof. All right. So let's continue on and begin to look at the next part of this uh, passage, which is we're going to look at his eyes. All right. Uh, His eyes are like a flame. Uh, This eyes like a flame. I can only think about uh, some times in my childhood. All right. So I'm going to break down this. You know, I wasn't always the the guy that I am today. When I was younger, I got into a little bit of trouble. Well, let me tell you one time uh, I saw eyes like a flame in my in my dad's eyes. All right. So I thought I was playing with with my my buddy who happens to be uh, my wife Jessica's brother. We were at our house and we were playing road hockey and we had a hockey net up on the driveway and uh, I was, of course, trying to uh, train and get ready because I really wanted to play hockey in the NHL. And what we did was we decided, you know what, forget about tennis balls, forget about anything that's not going to cause damage. If you want to train to be in the NHL, you need to use a weighted puck. And I had a couple weighted pucks. They're heavier than the puck that uh, you would normally use on the ice. And I was practicing my shot because I wanted to have a really heavy shot. And I would move further and further down the driveway. And I said at one point, I said to uh, Chris, I said, I bet you, I bet you I can take a shot with this weighted puck from across the street and I can hit the crossbar on that net. And we, we thought about it and we, pondered it a little bit and uh we said yeah yeah let's try it well of course what did i do i took a shot and that puck went over the crossbar and it went right through the back wall of the garage now if any of you have ever met my dad my dad does not like even little nicks in the wall he'd have that putty out and he'd be fixing that hole and he'd be sanding it down and anytime you move furniture watch the walls watch the walls and so immediately when that puck went through the wall i panicked oh did i panic and you know when you're 14 or 15 years old you have not been properly trained to patch a wall i took masking tape and I put masking tape over the hole, and then I puttied it to make it look like nothing had ever happened. Well, to my amazement, the next morning when my dad went to work at 6 a.m., the putty was so heavy, and it pulled the masking tape right off the wall. And there he stood with me after work that day, looking in that hole with that hole, eyes like a flame. You just put a hole in my garage wall. <laughs> I mean, I thought, this is it. You know, the old days, what did we, what did we call it? You're going to get a licking, right? You're going you're gonna to get a spanking. And I thought, oh my goodness, I'm about to be punished because the weighted puck 
went through the wall. And I'm confident that the weighted puck made a much bigger hole in the drywall than a regular puck would. But boy, oh boy, let me tell you, I had a really hard shot. That's for sure. I was pretty proud of that, getting that hole, uh, not getting the hole in the wall. But I still tell that story to this day with my kids. And I tell them, hey, I can take a shot from across the street. <laughs> Put it right through a garage wall. Anyway, uh, eyes like a flame. Let's get back on track here. Eyes like a flame. This is what Jesus has done. He's done an x-ray. This eyes like a flame that Jesus has here, the son of God who's ready to come and judge. He's got eyes like a flame. Why? He's angry. It's this penetrating look that you know that that there's something wrong. And, and scholars describe the eyes like a flame as a penetrating discernment. And we see over in Revelation chapter 19, verse 12, we see this description again. Uh, Verse 11, it says, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. He who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he does what? He judges and wages war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. All right, so he, this, this, penetrating discernment is looking deep within the heart and within the soul with this x-ray and he's seeing that there's something not good in this church and these eyes like a flame he's looking deep 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 within and discerning what is happening see this is why it's so convicting this letter just like the week prior with the episode prior is everything might look good on the outside. Everything might look so impressive on the outside. You could be an individual or a church. All right, think of it this way. Maybe your church looks really good to the outsider. Maybe the church has an amazing reputation in the community. Uh, Maybe other churches highly respect the church. But you see, what Jesus is doing is he's seeing way beyond the surface. And he is seeing what is really happening within the church. All right, so yeah, okay, well, we can sit on the pedestal and we can say, well, yeah, that's the church. But then if you just take that down more impersonal, man, you could look good on the outside. You could be a person of good reputation in the community. You could be a person that is well-respected by other Christians in the world, but Jesus at the heart sees what is really happening. And man, you know, we're just seeing right now all around. I don't know what it is. Maybe uh, through COVID, God has been uh, shaking the church. But he, as he's shaking and refining the church, we're seeing a lot of people, a lot of leaders, pastors, people who are shepherds to sheep, who are being sifted and brought and bubbled up to the surface and being shown for who they really are, look good on the outside, good reputation in the community, really respected by other churches. But so many of these leaders falling into sexual sin. It's so rampant. It's, it's everywhere. And that's what Jesus has done with the x-ray. He's, he's looked beyond what, what is perceived on the outside, what we may look at and go, oh, yeah, that's a really good thing. No, no. He's looked way beyond, and he said, I've got penetrating discernment to see deep, deep, deep into your heart what is really going on. That's Again, think about that. That's how how convicting this is. Man, you can't hide anything from Jesus. Nothing is hidden. He will find and see all. Uh, Let's look at the next one, okay? So the next part of that description is uh, feet like burnished bronze. All right, so uh, burnished bronze. And I, I can't help but think about when I see uh, metal heated up and shined up and purified and taken and cleaned and and here uh, this burnished bronze we see again mentioned in Revelation uh, verse uh, nine chapter nineteen verse uh, fifteen it says from his mouth comes a sharp sword 
so that with it he may strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of the God Almighty. Uh, The feet like burnished bronze is shared in the example of Revelation 19, like one who is ready to stomp out sin. (laughs) I remember once uh, having an opportunity to stand in a uh, wooden barrel where it's full of grapes and you just start stomping on that barrel and crushing the grapes and hanging on as it gets all slippery, but watching as all the juice comes out the bottom, the grape juice comes out the bottom into another uh, uh, barrel. And here, this is the example, what Jesus is doing, okay? His eyes are like a flame. He is the Son of God. He's ready to come uh, and judge. He's doing a penetrative look into the heart and soul of the church and the individuals in the church. And then with his feet burnished in bronze, he's coming and he is ready to stomp out sin. Do you see that he's not coming in a humble priestly manner. He's not coming with the purpose of sacrifice for sin. He already did that. He's coming to this church because he knows. He knows that there's something happening here within this church, and he is coming to stomp out sin. Uh, just, Just remember that picture and keep that picture in your mind of the Son of God, Uh, one with all authority. God gave him all authority. He's coming to judge. His eyes are penetrating deep within the church. And he has got feet like burnished bronze, and he's coming ready to stomp out sin. All right, let's look at the the, uh, commendation to this church. All right, the commendation to the church is found in verse 20. It starts with the word, but. And it says, but I have this against you. Uh, or sorry, the commendation starts in verse 19. Starts, I know your deeds and your love and your faith and service and your perseverance, and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. All right, so we're not going to break down every single individual one of these, but here, here's what Jesus says he knows that the church is doing well. All right, so first he knows uh, their deeds. Uh, their deeds are the outflow of their love, all right? So this church is doing really well uh, in their loving uh, Jesus, and it shows that their deeds are proving their salvation. So they are, uh, he knows their deeds, their love, their faith, uh, they're serving, and they're persevering in the midst of what's happening within the church. And, and they are growing, so, like the church at Ephesus, this church is uh, strong in the fact that uh, they're strong in love by showing it in their works, all right? So, that church in Ephesus, although they lost their first love, all the deeds that they were doing were showing their dedication and love to Jesus, all right? So, much like that, but this church does have a problem. All right. So even though they're strong in their love, they're strong in their perseverance, they're strong in their faith and service, uh, they're growing in these things. The problem that the church has is that it lacks discernment and they tolerate false teaching. That's an opposite of Ephesus because Ephesus was one that had great discernment because they protected their pulpit. They didn't allow false teachers to come in and affect the church. Um, This church doesn't have that discernment. They don't have the ability to determine the difference between false uh, teaching and what is right. And it's not all of them, all right? There is a large group that don't have discernment, and they tolerate false teaching teaching, all right? This, this, this is the problem. Uh, before we get into the reproof is we even see this today because as I've said in podcasts previous, we're in this battle for truth 
And false teachers, they don't come out and announce that they're a false teacher. It's such a fine line between what they teach as their truth and what the God's Word says is truth that for some, it almost sounds exactly the same. And so when you don't have that discernment, by the way, you can get that discernment and understanding by really coming to a true knowledge and understanding of God's Word. And that's the benefit of precept. If, if you're in precept and you are doing observation, interpretation, and application, you are building not only your knowledge and understanding God's Word, but the outflow is that is your, your discernment in knowing what is true and what is not true. It raises red flags for you when you begin to hear things that are not true. All right, and so those red flags are not being raised in this church. Those red flags are, they're just going by and you have false teaching that's infiltrating the church. All right, so, uh, but I have this against you, he says in verse 20, uh, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess, a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bond servants astray so that they act they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. All right. And he says, I gave her time to repent and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Okay. So we need to break this down uh, a little bit more because first of all, we have to look at this person, uh, Jezebel. All right. The Jezebel reference here in Revelation chapter 2, verse 20, is best described as one who is like Jezebel of the Old Testament. All right. In characteristic, she carries the same characteristics that are found of Jezebel in the Old Testament. So let's just break down who Jezebel was. In the Old Testament, we can find all of the stories about Jezebel in uh, in the book of in the Kings. Okay, so we can look at all those uh, references to her in First uh, and Second Kings. Okay, so here's what we know: uh, Jezebel was the daughter of the king of Tyre and Sidon. She was she was a woman who worshipped Baal. Uh, Baal was the fertility god. All right, so she worshipped Baal, and she came into the life of Israel when she married King Ahab. She became powerful and had uh, Baal worship instituted within Israel. She persuaded uh, King Ahab to build altars to Baal, but she also raised up 850 prophets to spread her ideas around Israel. Uh, she would tell the people of Israel through the prophets that it was okay to worship both Yahweh and Baal. So you could worship both God and Baal. And any prophet of God who spoke against her and said, no, you cannot worship both God and Baal, she had them killed. All right, so we know that what Jezebel had the prophets teaching in the Old Testament, we know as we study the Old Testament that these uh, teachings are false teachings because in Exodus, God says, there are no other gods before me, that he is a jealous God, and that we're not to make idols or fashion anything in the likeness of God. And yet Jezebel was saying, oh, you can, you can worship both. All right, so uh, this is why she's referred to in this church, one like Jezebel. All right, so this Jezebel in the church, she too said that she was a prophet. All right, so she was a prophet, uh, but here's the thing. She was in the church claiming to be a Christian claiming to be a Christian prophet, and because she was claiming to be a Christian with a message from God, she gained influence in the church, and only a small few of the people in the church 
realized that she was a phony, that they realized that she, what she was teaching was not true. All right, so what did she teach? Okay, so you've got to go back to the historical point of this book. What she was teaching was that you could be a person, a Christian in the church, who could participate in the worship of Jesus and also participate in all of the practices of false worship that took place at those trade guild dinners, which would have been things like eating food sacrificed to idols. So essentially, the one like Jezebel was telling the Christians that it was okay to compromise your faith to remain in the trade guild for the purpose of providing for your family. Do you see the problem? Do you see the situation here? The situation was that there were people in the church that felt it was okay to compromise their Christian faith for the purpose of their provision for their family. You can compromise your faith for your work. <laughs> All right, so now this is where, right, it's going to gonna come like, ah, here, here comes the knife. It's about to pierce right through the middle of the heart because this is the battle that we go in through, into today as Christians. <laughs> you know, there was a time, and right now you're saying, well, Mark, how can you really know that like because you work for a christian ministry your whole life surrounds studying the studying the bible so how does one compromise their face that working for a christian ministry well one time i worked didn't work for a christian ministry i worked in a factory and where there were times where you could potentially do things to compromise your faith while you were at work hey if you want to fit in with the in crowd at work and those people are all atheists, maybe you're going to deny your faith to be a part of that. Maybe you're going to do things to live within the work world that are much different than you would when you're at church on Sunday morning. Uh, one author calls this whole thing of compromising your faith uh, compartmentalization. All right, so let me give you the definition of compartmentalization, and that is that you have one set of values and priorities for one sphere of life, and then you have another set of values and priorities for another sphere of life. Uh, listen to what Do Dr. Jeffrey Bjork says regarding compartmentalization. He says, it's a way to maintain the illusion that I can be both holy on Sunday and allow poison into my head Monday to Friday. Because what happens on Monday to Friday, that's just entertainment or whatever. <laughs> what, what this is, is that you go into the church and you portray one thing on Sunday because you have one set of values and priorities that day. I go to the church, I put my suit on or whatever it is, and I, and I put on my Christian character for that day, and I act holy and right at church on Sunday because why? I'm a respected person in the church. I'm a leader within the church. All of these things that happen. And then on Monday, you compromise that faith, and you go about living your life in your workplace, which doesn't have anything to do with you being a Christian. There's two, you're living two separate personalities in two separate places, all for the purpose of your benefit. Compartmentalization. All right. This is the key word in this definition that I want us to all understand. It's the illusion that I can be both holy and allow the things of the world to infiltrate my life during the week. All right? It's like having a split personality. Sunday, I'm a Christian. I put on my Christian jacket. I do the Christian holy things. And Monday, I live for the world full of sin. And then I go back and do that on Sunday. So everybody thinks I'm this great Christian 
that I'm doing things well for Jesus Christ, that I'm living for his glory on Sunday because I'm at church every Sunday, I'm singing the songs, I bring my Bible, I open my Bible, and then Monday, all of that stuff goes into the closet, it's hidden away, Monday to Friday, you live for the world, you do whatever you want, you party it up, whatever the case may be, you spend crazily for the world, you gather all your your worldly things together, you poison yourself with the things of the world that are in there, and then what do you do on Sunday? You put all that away on Saturday night, and you open the closet of Jesus on Sunday, put that jacket back on, head back to church, everybody thinks everything's fine, and you keep doing it. It's an illusion. It's something that is for everybody to see on the outside that you are caring about the characteristics of Jesus Christ. But here's the problem. Jesus has eyes like a flame. He has penetrating discernment. (laughs) You can't hide from him. You can't present an illusion to him. You can't be one person Monday to Friday to him, and then you can't put on holiness on Sunday because he sees it. He sits and he does an x-ray of your heart and of your soul. And he says, (laughs) no, you're not truly one of mine. This is really important for us to understand because right here is where the rubber hits the road. And and we're seeing that in the reproof here that Jesus is saying, this is the problem Some of you in this church, not a small number of you, a large number of you have your foot both in the world and one foot following Jesus. You have one set of values and priorities for one sphere of your life. You have one set of values and priorities for another sphere. What you do at the trade guilds To be a part of the trade guilds doesn't affect what you do on Sunday. Untrue. It's a lie. I'm telling you right now, it's a lie. If anybody's ever told you anything different, they're lying to you. And Jesus knows your heart. He knows my heart. Because he has eyes like a flame and he's penetrating deep into our hearts and he sees what is true. Look what he says to the church. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, and that you're growing. But some of you, you follow the way of Jezebel. She has led you astray. She has told you that it's okay to compromise your faith because she says that that's a message from God. That's the key point here. (laughs) <laughs> she's, she's made this up, but she has given herself the authority of prophetess, and that is what has brought people to be led astray that they can do both. But you can't. Uh, Jesus, uh, in verse 21, he says to the prophetess Jezebel, I gave her time to repent, but she doesn't want to repent of her immorality. So you see, even Jesus here, we we see some grace in the fact that prophetess who is leading church people, he says, my bondservants she is leading astray. You're leading my people away from the true word of God. You're causing them to compromise their faith. Repent of that right now. And Jezebel says, no, I'm not repenting of that and continues on in her immorality. Well, we see most false teachers, why do they do that? They do that for their own personal gain. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent. So behold, verse 22, I will throw her on a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into the great tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds. I will kill her children with pestilence and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts and I will give to each one according to your deeds. Well, there's a lot to unpack here. We've got to do it quickly. 
He says, uh, I'm going to throw her under a bed of sickness while Jezebel, the prophetess, because she had put herself into a great high authority, she she was one who was known to sit on a couch and eat eat the food to false idols and uh, sit there in great comfort, and now God is going to put her on a bed of sickness. Because she won't repent, she's going to be judged, and she's going to be put to death because she committed adultery. Uh, not only that, God is going to judge those who have followed after her way and have compromised their faith and have followed after the teachings unless they repent of following her instead of following God. I'll kill her children with pestilence and all the church church will know that I'm the one who's in charge, not the prophet who says they have a new message from God, that I'm the one who searches the minds and hearts and will give to each of you according to your deeds. Why? Because he has eyes like a flame. What's he doing? Like burnished bronze feet, he's stomping out sin. He says here also that uh, he will give to each one according to their deeds. This is very important for us to understand because what Jesus is doing here is Jesus gave her time to repent so that uh, she could fall back in line. But you see, what God is doing here is he is looking behind the curtain. He sees that nothing is hidden, and he sees that their deeds are the proof of who they follow. You see, the most important thing for you and I to understand it is not that we are saved by our deeds, but our deeds in life show us who we are aligned with. Our deeds show us who we follow. And when we perform good deeds and deeds worthy of the glory of God, we so prove our love and allegiance to Jesus Christ. But when we compromise and when we allow poison into our lives and when we are not wholly devoted to Jesus, our deeds show that our heart is split and torn. Let's look at the action. The action that takes place, it says, uh, but I say to you, uh, the rest who are in Thautira, who do not hold this teaching, well, who hold the teaching of Jezebel, uh, that you can compromise your faith, uh, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no burden on you. Keep running. Those of you who have not fallen into the false teaching, keep running in your faith and your love and your service and your perseverance and your deeds. Keep growing. You know, I got no problem with you. You're doing well. I mean, that's very encouraging. He says, uh, nevertheless, guys, church, individuals, those of the church, Hold fast until I come. Uh, those who didn't fall into her spell, running well, but Jesus says, hold fast. Don't move. Don't be shaken by the false teaching that is around you. Why? Because Jesus is going to stomp it out. Keep running well. Keep on track. Well, you have to ask yourself as we begin to wrap up this podcast, how? How? How do I hold fast? Well, he said, first of all, you got to keep your eyes on Jesus. There is an incredible picture right here for us to be able to keep our eyes on Jesus. Let me describe it to you quickly. It's Jesus. He is the one who has eyes like a flame. He has eyes that penetrate deep within to our heart and soul to see who we really are and who our allegiance is to. Jesus is one like a burnished bronze. His feet are like burnished bronze. He is one who will stomp out sin. And yet he is also one who gives time to repent. And then he rewards or judges according to our choices. Think about that. 
Jesus is one who will look deep within to our hearts and souls. He will stomp out sin. And he gives us time to repent of that sin, which is his grace. And then he rewards us according to the choices that we make while we're on earth. You see, this should keep us attentive to who God is. This should keep us focused on Jesus, and it should keep us focused on the choices that we make in our lives, because no choice is unhidden from Jesus. He sees it all. Well, let's look at the promise. The promise is twofold. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I'll give authority over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I have also received authority from my Father. Okay, well, let's look at a couple of cross-references quickly to the, to the promises here. Matthew chapter 24, uh, verse 13. Uh, we want to see what Jesus says here regarding this this uh, rule that will come in Matthew 24, uh, verse 13, very powerful uh, scripture. Uh, he says in, in 24, 13, the one who endures to the end will be saved. This, this great questions of what the disciples were saying, when, when, will, when will the end be? What will happen at the end? Well, anyone who endures and makes it to the end will be saved. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 23. Listen to what Paul says regarding this promise. Uh, Indeed, if you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you had heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and earth, for which I was made a minister. All right, so what, what is the promise? The promise is reward. The promise is reward if we remain faithful and hold fast to the teaching of God's word. Keep my deeds until Jesus comes. Hold true to the word of God. Remain steadfast, immovable. And the promise of holding to the deeds is that we will rule and be given authority over the nations. You see, uh, if you have the opportunity to study deeper into the book of Revelation, we know that Jesus will come. Uh, he will come again at his, at his second coming, and he will uh, bound Satan for a thousand years. He will, he will put the, uh, the Antichrist and the false prophet, he will send them to the lake of fire, and then there will be this thousand-year uh, reign of Jesus Christ before Satan is released to to deceive again. But in that thousand years, there is a promise. And the promise is that those who are saints, those who are his, will rule with him on earth. And so we will have the opportunity to rule with him. I think about the parable of the talents. Uh, the one who was given much and did much with it was uh, given much more reward later, authority. The one who didn't do much was not given anything. And so we have this promise that when Jesus returns and he comes to rule with the rod of iron, uh, we will rule with him. Overcome, hold fast, and we will rule with him. The other promise that comes uh it says, uh, all, verse 27, And he shall rule with them with the rod of iron, and the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces. I have also have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. Uh, the promise of the morning star, we, we see a couple times in Scripture, and so I want to look these up. The first is Revelation chapter 22, uh, verse 16. And it says, uh, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 19. 
it says, uh, so, so we have this prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. What's the promise? The promise is that we will rule with Jesus and we will have Jesus himself in all of his fullness. That we will be with Jesus uh, in all of his fullness. Absolutely amazing. We will be present with him. We will stand with him. We will walk with him. We will rule with him. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, verse 12, where I want to wrap us up today in looking at this verse with a few pieces of application to, to end. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. For now we see a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, right? So we, only, we, we never got to walk with Jesus. We, never, we, we are the recipients of the gospel through the word of mouth of those who walked with Jesus. But we, we never got to experience Jesus on earth ourselves. That's why we live by faith. But he says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. I only know part because I never walked with him. But then I will know fully, just as of I have also fully known. With Paul, Paul's telling us that he will, we will fully know Jesus. We'll be with him and present with him. Uh, we will rule with him. And we will receive Jesus in all of his fullness when we overcome. So, so here's the application to wrap us up in, the, in, in this week's episode. We, we can't leave without application. We've observed, we've interpreted, and now we apply. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, just love that man's uh, biography. Dietrich Bonhoeffer he argued that the human heart has the capacity for only one all-encompassing, all-embracing allegiance. You see, when we compromise and we don't have our heart fully after that one thing, Jesus Christ, we commit spiritual adultery. Spiritual adultery inevitably leads to spiritual sickness Spiritual sickness eventually leads to spiritual death. We cannot have it both ways. We cannot have both the world and Jesus. You see, the message to the church at Tautira, it forces us to confront the biggest question that you and I have in life today. Who will you follow. Will you follow Jesus or will you follow the world? Oh, such a simple question, right? Simple question that cannot be answered easily. The world and its instant gratifications can sometimes outweigh the patience and the perseverance of the coming of the Son of Man. But the reward that we find in our perseverance is so much greater than the instant gratification the world has to offer. And so who will you follow? Will you continue to be the one who compromises their faith? Will you be one who continues to live the illusion that on Sundays you have it all together and you are holy, but on Monday to Friday, you are living for the world. You can't have it both ways. That's what the Holy Spirit is challenging us through this letter today. Who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow Jesus? Or are you going to follow the world? Let's pray. God, we do thank you again for the truths that we find in these scriptures. Lord, these, these teachings are very convicting.
all throughout Scripture, we have seen that you desire our entire heart. You want all of us. You want us to be completely aligned to you. And yet, over and over, we see examples all through the 66 books of your Bible that we have seen people who have compromise their faith, that they have been led astray, that they have been people who have not been wholly devoted, but yet also we see this great hall of faith in Hebrews of people who have uh, actively and uh, persevered and followed no matter what the situation was, they remained aligned to you. And Lord, I pray for each and every person listening to this podcast this week that if their heart is torn between two masters, that if they're compromising their faith for the purposes of the world and yet trying to live the illusion of holiness and dedication to you, that you would pierce their hearts today, that the Spirit would speak clearly to us in how we need to be transformed to be more and more like you to make that sacrifice of the things of the world, to kill those things off in our life so we can be aligned to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are so grateful you joined us in today's episode of Unlocking the Truth, the podcast by Preset Ministries Canada. Visit our website, presetministries.ca, to get more details on the 2023 Holy Land Tour and be sure to register for an upcoming summer workshop, whether in person or online. You will find one that best suits where you are in your precept journey. Know God deeply, live differently.